to begin this program, uh, which is put together around the theme of the blackness leadership class, uh, I think that two words uh, would suffice to introduce the subject of black misleadership class. And those words are Cory Booker, <laughs> whose name is, of course, on everyone's lips. Uh, just this week, of course, uh, Cory Booker uh, was elected or became the senator-elect uh, from New Jersey. Uh, last night, I was flipping around through the channels and I stumbled, totally by mistake, of course, stumbled uh, upon Fox TV. And I saw that uh, the crew was busy trying to explain how Cory Booker was such a liberal uh, tax and spend uh, politician uh, who would favor urban areas, meaning black, over suburban areas of New Jersey, meaning uh, white. And, and that is just so far from the truth, it is laughable, because Cory Booker is the politician who was bought and paid for by the same institutions, the same money bags that are just as white and far to the right as Fox News itself. In point of historical fact, Booker's political career was birthed in the womb of the right-wing Bradley Foundation out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And you don't get any more reactionary than that. The Bradley Foundation was so far to the right and so good at doing far-right things uh, that it was dubbed by uh, President Bush his favorite foundation. And he wasn't kidding about that. They did him some great service. They contributed to two of his most important domestic policies. One of them was called the Faith-Based Initiative, which was essentially a scheme designed to bribe a whole class of black preachers. And black preachers are, of course, a very important component of the black misleadership class, as Dr. West would explain if he hadn't had this uh, personal tragedy. Bush's faith-based initiative had black preachers lined up, literally thousands of them, uh, to get a federal gift and in return, those preachers would either become Republicans or endorse Republican policies. That was the product of the Bradley Foundation and the think tanks that it funds. The other gift that the Bradley Foundation gave to the Bush administration was the campaign for private school vouchers. And that campaign was very quickly expanded into an all-out push for charter schools, which did even more widespread destruction. And that is the point where Cory Booker comes in. Cory Booker had just turned 30, and he was in his first year of his first term in the Newark City Council. Uh, where, by the way, and I used to cover the Newark City Council for a small black newspaper that I helped found, and nobody on the City Council uh, paid much attention uh, to Cory uh, Booker. Uh, he was there at the first meeting, the founding gathering in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, under the auspices of the Bradley Foundation, 
uh, for a front group that they had specifically formed in order to try and create the impression that there was a movement out there among black folks for private school vouchers. Now, the reality was that private school vouchers uh, had never been an issue in the black community. Uh, If people were familiar at all with private school vouchers, it was in the context of them being used in order to fund segregation academies in the Deep South during the time of massive uh, resistance. Uh, But the Bradley Foundation reasoned that with their millions and millions of dollars, they could create a movement or the semblance of one out of a thin air. All they had to do was attract a gaggle of hustlers and scoundrels, black hustlers and scoundrels, and call them uh, the beginning, the think the thinkers and movers and shakers of a new movement, and it would be so. And all they had to do was tell the the corporate media uh, that this was a legitimate movement of black people, uh, and they would cover it that way. And Cory Booker was at that first meeting of this Black Alliance for Educational Options in 1998. Uh, Also on hand was Floyd Flake, Uh, He was the congressman from Queens who, before he resigned, was the only member of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, who ever supported school vouchers. Floyd Flake went on to become an important cog in the wheel of the Manhattan Institute. All of you are familiar with that right-wing outfit. And to make millions as a practitioner of charter schools. Flake and Booker are part of a black misleadership class, however, one that is totally bought and paid for, uh, created out of whole cloth by the corporate world. Uh, Three years later, after Corey uh, got his real political beginnings, after he put together the source of his funding, He made his first run for mayor of Newark, New Jersey. That was in 2002. He was backed with millions of dollars in campaign funds from that same universe of right-wingers that he had met through the Bradley Foundation. Even the right-wing columnist George F. Will came to Newark to support Cory Booker. This is how Cory Booker was set on the path to becoming a major black political figure as a wholly owned subsidiary of the most reactionary forces in the United States, as a pure servant of corporate power. That year was 2002. That's when we first called attention at Black Commentator. Black Commentator was the predecessor to Black Agenda Report, and that's where the core of the Black Agenda Report team came together. And back in 2002, we were the first uh, to call attention uh, to the great danger that was represented not just by Cory Booker, but to all of these newly empowered hustlers and scoundrels who were being funded by the corporate world. That was the first issue, in fact, of the black commentator, the cover story for that first issue. It was called Fruit of the Poison Tree. The core team of Black Agenda Report has actually been documenting the rise of this new 
cohort of black corporate politicians for more than a decade, not just the seven years that we're celebrating tonight of Black Agenda Report. The black misleadership class is nothing new. It did not begin in 1998 or in 2002 or even with this surge of corporate funding. It has always been there. It has existed in some form as long as there has been a black America. It is a class that sees its own personal, financial, and social interests as being synonymous with the progress of black people as a whole. This class does not seek transformation of society. It seeks only their own elevation within the existing structures. The rest of black America, as far as they are concerned, is supposed to applaud their individual success. And we're also supposed to call that black progress, no matter what is actually happening to the masses of black people uh, at the bottom. It is the politics of putting black faces in high places and to hell with those of us stuck at the bottom or those of us who are below the bottom in the U.S. prison gulag. This black misleadership class has always been among us and it is the tension uh, between these representationists, these who see uh, only uh, the goal of being represented that is having a few black folks in business and in motion pictures and maybe one day, now is the day, in the White House, uh, but do not see uh, the need for a transformation of society. What's new is the massive influx of national corporate money to black Democrats, to black Democrats. That is the transformation uh, that occurred uh, in, at the turn of the 21st century, resulting in not just Cory Booker's candidacy, uh, but others as well. It all begins in 2002 with Cory Booker's first campaign for mayor and the corporate-funded unseating of Cynthia McKinney in Atlanta and of Earl Hilliard in Alabama. These campaigns were funded by the same people that put Cory Booker up for office the first time. Corporate money transformed the black electoral politics game just as corporate money subverted the old line black civic and civil rights organizations and made them into willing partners with the very same Wall Street banks that were back in 2002 beginning to target every black neighborhood in the nation with subprime mortgages. That is when that offensive began as well. Corporate America begins the 21st century with a massive money offensive in black America. And they were successful beyond their wildest dreams. They knew that they had a future star in Cory Booker. And they're so happy today. They're celebrating. Their boy is going to the Senate. But back in 2002, they were also vetting another and much more talented and much more promising frontman for capital. And his name was Barack Obama. He was beginning his campaign uh, for the Senate from Illinois. We 
at Black Agenda Report, or rather at Black Commentator when the team was there. Uh, we confronted Obama for a solid month uh, in June of 2003, Bruce Dixon and I. We had an intense back-and-forth exchange with Brother Obama, which you can still read in the pages of the Black Commentator. We knew that Obama was a nightmare that was about to happen, but we did let him slide. We hoped that we could somehow avoid denouncing this up-and-coming young man that so many people found so attractive. But, of course, it didn't work that way. We couldn't avoid him for long. It was Barack Obama who wound up moving forward and astonishingly, in astonishing speed, Cory Booker's and the Bradley Foundation's agenda on the privatization of public schools. And one of Obama's first acts was to expand the faith-based initiatives. So we have the Bradley Foundation's initiative living on with Obama, just as the Heritage Foundation's legacy lives on in Obamacare. Cory Booker has gone on to climb into bed with every money bag in the Silicon Valley. But Barack Obama is the commander-in-chief of global capitalism, the imperial maestro with a kill list that has everybody's name and everybody's address on it, along with all of your social and political networks and friends. And all of this has been done with a black face. The transformation in black politics over the last 10 years has been staggering. It has been absolutely breathtaking. In 2002, when George Bush asked the U.S. Congress for war powers in order to attack Iraq, only four members of the Congressional Black Caucus voted in favor. Our team, at the Black Commentator, called these four people the four eunuchs of war. Now fast forward just nine years to 2011, in the age of Obama, fully half of the Congressional Black Caucus, 20 members, voted against a resolution that would have halted the U.S. bombing of an African nation, Libya. This is an outcome that would have been unthinkable under George Bush just a few years before. It was even more grotesque when it's remembered that while these 20 black members of Congress were voting to continue bombing Libya, President Obama's jihadist rebel friends were carrying out a race war on the ground in Libya, purging the country of black Libyans and African migrants and massacring them by the thousands. But that didn't change the minds of half of the Congressional Black Caucus. Only a decade earlier, in 2003, just six weeks before the Iraq war began, the Zogby poll did a survey that found that only 21% of blacks supported an attack on Iraq. Huge majorities at the same time of white men were for the war, and majorities of white women and nearly half of Hispanics were also for a war against uh, Iraq. But when the Zogby poll asked the question, 
would you support an invasion of Iraq if it would result in the death of thousands of Iraqi civilians? Only 7% of blacks said yes. And that was a reaffirmation of what pollsters had found consistently ever since blacks have been included in the polling process. They have found that African Americans are the group most consistently opposed to U.S. military adventures abroad. And that is because, historically, we have not trusted the motives of the United States. And we never have. That is, until a black man came to sit in the White House. And suddenly, those motives were seen as benign. Now, fast forward again to September of this year. For the first time in history, more blacks said they were in favor of war than whites did. This has never happened before. 40% of blacks surveyed by the ABC Washington Post poll said they were in favor of a military strike against Syria. Only 38% of whites said so, and only 31% of Hispanics were in favor. The question then raised is, is this a repudiation by a sizable proportion of black folks of the historical black consensus on peace and on social justice? I don't think that it is a repudiation, but right now we can't prove whether it is or not. What is clear is that the age of Obama is offering up the worst role models in black American history and a black political class that is quite willing to consign the black consensus on peace to the dustbin of history in order to defend a black presence in the highest office in the land. So go bomb the Libyans and go bomb the Syrians. We got a black man in the White House. What does it matter? A significant proportion of the black population is willing to go along with almost any program as long as they feel that they are acting or expressing opinions that are in defense of Obama. I'm going to leave you with one more horrific factoid. Fully one-third of the black caucus recently voted to maintain the NSA's spying program on all Americans. And to think, one-third of the caucus, people who are representing black communities that are suffering mass incarceration and have been suffering mass incarceration for the last 40 years, and we understand that the beginning of the process of mass incarceration is hyper-surveillance of the black community. And yet, this one-third of the black caucus votes for hyper-surveillance of all Americans. This is a monstrous deformity of black politics, and it has occurred over just the last 10 years. It's rooted in the huge onslaught of corporate money into black democratic politics and in the suborning by corporations of traditional black organizations. There is no movement to act as a countervailing force to the power of capital. 
And when there is no mass movement, the self-serving black misleadership class becomes even more influential internally in black America. Black Agenda Report exists to play a role in the rebuilding of a mass black movement. And if there is no rebuilding of a mass black movement, there is little hope of any effective progressive resistance to the rule of Wall Street and its servants in government and for peace. Some of you may say, Glenn, uh, why all this lamentation? I thought this was supposed to be uh, a celebration of Black Agenda's seventh anniversary, and you ain't smiled yet. <laughs> but I think that we are celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that we are still here fighting the power every day. And that more and more people of all races are recognizing the real dimensions of the crisis and the character and nature of the crisis. We're celebrating the fact that there still exists a critical mass of people who are struggling to reestablish and repair the black historical consensus for social justice and peace. And some of the most outstanding personalities in that struggle are right here with us tonight. We promised you a productive and worthwhile evening. Power to the people.